Well, I'm delighted that you stayed for the second half of this message today. Get a reminder, we will be having prayer meeting Wednesday at 7 on Zoom. I hope if you can, you'll be a part of that as well. Let's give ourselves to the worship of our God, taking the Trinity hymn book, turning to 559, 559, cast thy burden on the Lord. 559. Stand together as we sing. pray and ask God to come and meet with us. Dale, would you lead us in that prayer, please?
chapter 2. Last week I gave you a little bit of a author's bio from the book of Kings regarding Solomon and all the books that he wrote besides this one. He wrote of animals and plants and uh, I didn't mention it but it's interesting isn't it that God did not preserve those writings. The science side of things. Science is always changing, not necessarily because old science gets wrong, but it's just we learn new every day because of the way God made this world and the finite way that he made us. We keep learning. I mean, Newtonian physics are great, still very valuable um, today in a lot of occupations, and yet they don't work when you get to the subatomic level. So we have science additions uh, always But God's truth remains forever. It will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word does not pass away. Anyway, as I was saying, I gave you an author's bio. On the backs of any books you buy, there is also given testimonials about the man and how great he was. And Solomon also has a testimonial from a certain queen from south somewhere of him. And she says, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of your acts and of your wisdom. And that's what we are partaking of today, his wisdom. Howbeit, I did not believe the word until I came and my eyes had seen it. Behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame which I heard. And I love this part because it, It speaks of Christ. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who stand continually before you and that hear your wisdom. It's just a blessing to hear it uh, and be in his presence. Verse 9, blessed be Yahweh your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because Yahweh loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do judgment and justice. And that's very messianic, of course, in, in its import. And justice and judgment are very going to be very uh, prominent topics as we go through the book of Proverbs. We noticed last week in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning. It's the beginning of knowledge, he says there. But we also... See, if you drop your eyes down to verse 5, he says, after this searching goes on, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh. I always hesitate to give definitions to uh, words like fear because we need to let the book of Proverbs, as we go through this, define what the fear of Yahweh is. And keep in mind, uh, I don't always mention it, but each phrase in, in most of these, and many of, and in this verse especially, most phrases, most verses have two phrases and they're parallel to each other. So always keep that in mind. The second phrase often will accentuate or define what was said uh, in the first phrase. Also note that uh, 
the importance of words. Um, wisdom comes via words. God's words. Verse 23 in, in chapter 1 said that. In chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 6, treasure, receive my words, treasure my words. Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth. So it's words that transmit uh, wisdom to us. But also in this chapter, we're going to notice that it's also through words that we are tempted to sin. There's, there's two areas of sin spoken of, two areas of temptation spoken of in this chapter. One is the temptation of the evil man, and one is the temptation of the evil woman, or the foreign uh, woman, if you will. But notice it's their words. By their words, they bring this temptation, verse 12, um, to rescue you from the way of evil, from a person who speaks uh, perverse things. In my version, it's man. Here we have person. What version do I have? i got New American Standard there. And then in verse 16, the woman flatters with what? With her words. That's how she takes a man down. And her, her house is the way to hell. Gentlemen, don't forget that. And then one final note that I wanted to bring uh, to you. Always keep in mind, uh, I don't know who said it, probably a lot of men have said it, the scriptures are always everywhere speaking of Christ. Look for Christ in these verses. And we do have uh, very much gospel promises uh, in this chapter. Verses 6 through 8 talks about God's guidance, his keeping, his preserving, uh, of his saints, so just the idea of election there, and his saints. And then in verse 21, also an, a prominent theme in the book of Proverbs, the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be eliminated from the land. Uh, echo of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Beatitudes, isn't it? The meek shall inherit the earth. And so, um, very much gospel-oriented uh, teaching here. Um, so, let's uh, go through this chapter together. I'm going to use my fallback version, of the New King James, for today. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Notice the parallel. For Yahweh gives wisdom from his mouth Come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. 
When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the faithful will be up, unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Again, take the Trinity hymn book and turn to hymn 588. Come we that love the Lord, 588. Let's stand together again as we sing. Trisha and I arrived home <clears throat> this past Tuesday, and then Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, taking care of things, 
preparing a message for the Lord's Day. Originally, it was planned that because I knew my week was a bit unusual, because Friday I left again for Indianapolis for my 49th high school class reunion. It's amazing how they've all gotten older, but I, you know, I'm still the same. But um, originally it was planned that Micah Smith was going to come and preach this afternoon. And then he called me, and he was mandatory. He worked security at the hospital at the University of Michigan. And he was mandatory to work this afternoon. So then I realized, okay, i got to get another message. So got home yesterday, worked, 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 got a message together, not realizing my message this morning <laughs> would continue over to this afternoon. So in some ways, I'm ahead of sermon, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if I'll preach the other one or not any time, but, but we will see. But we do want to finish what we started this morning. Again, let me read especially verse 5 to you from Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5, we read these words, that you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all the tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. You shall seek the Lord. The children of Israel are about ready to cross the Jordan into the promised land. And Moses' desire for the children of Israel is that when they arrive in the promised land, they are a people who are devoted to God. They are a people committed to Him. And that there is this wonderful relationship, different from their forefathers, that they will have with Yahweh. And part of that relationship is approaching Him in worship. And Moses wants to make sure that they understand that when it comes to the worship of God, they're not to use their imaginations. In fact, they're to destroy anything that may keep them from worshiping Yahweh the way they ought. And so he's instructing them here in chapter 12, about what acceptable worship looks like to God. And after all, it is not the people that determine, but Yahweh determines how He is to be worshipped. And therefore, this morning, we notice together there are several principles that we can draw from this chapter with regard to acceptable worship. And we got through two and a half of them this morning. And the last two and a half, I don't have nearly as much material, but then again, I thought I could cover it all this morning, so we will see how it goes. But the first principle was this. Acceptable worship must be void of compromise with the world. When they arrived in the promised land, they were to destroy, tear down, obliterate, all the idols and places of worship that the Canaanites were engaged in, their, their worship of God was to be radically different than what the world was doing around them. And why? Do you remember why? Because God is a jealous God. 
He makes that clear when He gave us the second commandment. He's a jealous God. Number two, the second principle is acceptable worship must focus on the proper object. And the proper object is the one true and living God. Our God. Yahweh. He's the one that's to be worshipped. We worked at John chapter 4 where Jesus says that we're to worship the Father. So He's the one true and living God who is revealed to us in His Word as Father. And here the people of God are told, seek Yahweh. So that when we gather together to worship God, God is to be the focus of our attention. And would to God, and I pray that we'll grow in this, but that God is enough. To know God and to know that He meets with us is enough to help us and aid us in our worship towards God. But thirdly, we notice that acceptable worship must not be about our personal likes. It's not what do I like. What pleases me? I think I would enjoy it more if we would do this. But it's, what does God say? He says to them, you're not to continue doing that which you've determined is right in your own eyes. But you're to worship Me as I have told you. You're to bring the burnt offerings and the burnt sacrifice and the other offerings, which again all points to Jesus Christ and what He's accomplished for us. We also looked again at John chapter 4, where we read these words that we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're to worship Him from our hearts, a heart that's overflowing with who God is, His nature. And we're to worship Him in truth according to His Word it is how we're to worship Him. But there's... Now this is all new material, so if you've tuned me out till now, tune me back in. Alright? Because the question then is, what should our worship look like? If it's not dictated by my personal likes and my personal preferences then what should our worship look like? And, and to answer that question, I, again, I want to take you to a familiar passage for many of you, but it's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And here we find the early church, and we read concerning their activities as they gathered together, what did it look like for the early church? And the answer to that question is they were continually devoting themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Years ago, in fact, I think it was back in the days when we were at Dimmings Lake, a family had visited with us. And when I went to visit them, they were telling me, I'm looking for a church. We're looking for a church. But the man says, no one has ever answered this question for me. What should we be looking for? What do you look for when you look for a church? Of course, my answer was a charismatic preacher. 
Uh, and, they, and they've never been. No, that's not true. But I took them to this passage. Acts 2.42. And I said, use the early church for an example of what you ought to be looking for. There's the apostles' teaching. That, that is the exposition of God's Word. There is fellowship, a community of believers. Now, by fellowship, it's more than just going down and eating at a pitch-in. It is a matter of really seeking to open up to one another, being transparent with one another as is appropriate, coming along beside each other, helping one another. That's fellowship. It's not, hi, how are you? But it's entering into each other's lives, being a, a benefit to one another. So there's the apostles' teaching, the, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, there's the church ordinances, there's the observance of the Lord's table and baptism that, that ought to be a part of a local church, and there's prayer. There's prayer. Now, now, what more do you need than that? Now, I would go on to say, well, there is one other thing. There is the idea of, in Colossians and Ephesians, of singing. Encouraging, admonishing one another with songs. That's also a responsibility that we have towards each other. And so, if we were to ask the question, what should acceptable worship look like and what should acceptable worship be when the corporate body joins together to worship the true and the living God, we could say these things... There ought to be the preaching of the Word, the discussion of the Word, fellowship, the seeing of the Word, breaking of bread, baptism, the praying of the Word, wrecking our dependence upon God for all things, and later on, the singing of the Word. Singing, admonishing one another with songs. This morning I said when we sing, we sing to God. But we also sing to one another. We're expressing to each other as we sing our delight in God and our love for Him. So there ought to be the preaching of the Word, the discussion of the Word, the singing of the Word, the praying of the Word, and the singing of the Word. Those are the elements that ought to make up the worship of God in the corporate life of His church. That's what God requires. And to bring anything else in would be to bring in that of our own imagination, our own likes, but it's not what God requires. What does God require of us as we come to acceptable worship? What, what is it that pleases God? It's what He tells us. It's what He requires. It's what His Word directs us to be a part of our worship service.
Martin Luther, when he was fighting against Rome, said these things. The wicked say and confess, I am a monk, and I serve God with vows and ceremonies. Because of this, He will give me eternal life. But who tells you that you thus are worshiping the true God when He has not commanded these things? Therefore, you have made up for yourselves some gods who want these things, although they are not the true and living God who requires this or who wants to give you eternal life because of this. What then are you worshiping except an idol of your own heart whom you think, I'm sorry, whom you think the righteousness of your own works pleases. You see what Martin Luther was saying. You guys come in and you say, we're monks and, and we, we have certain ceremonies and, and rituals and we light certain candles and we do all this. But who's required that of you? It's a God that you've made up in your own mind. It's a God that you think will now give you eternal life if you do these things. But that's not right and that won't work. While you're worshiping, he says, is the idols of your own heart. And it does not please God. So acceptable worship is worship that's not about your personal likes. This is what I would like. You know, if you, if you want to come and talk to me sometime about the worship service, it would probably be a better part of wisdom for you not to say, here's what I would like for us to do. Because I'm not sure how I'll respond. I, I trust I'll be kind and say, thank you for that suggestion. But if it's simply your personal like, you realize I'll stand before God and give an account. Now, if you come before me and say, you know, I see this in God's Word, and, and do we incorporate that? We can talk. But it's not about your personal likes. Well, fourthly, accept, acceptable worship must be marked by joy. It must be marked by joy. Again, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and the Levites, who is within your gates, since he has no portion or an inheritance with you. It's to be marked by rejoicing. There ought to be joy in our worship. The worship of God by His people is significant to God. We said that this morning. It's important to God. 
He's not indifferent to that. And therefore, it ought to be marked by joy. This is the one place as we gather together corporately where even in the midst of all the burdens and the challenges that we face living in everyday world, as we come together and we focus on God and who God is and that He's the Creator of all things. He's the one that's ruled over all things. He is a God who loves me more than I even realize, more than I could ever comprehend. God loves me that much. And He's promised me that even in the midst of all the challenges and the trials of this world, He's at work in every one of them for my good. For my good. And you see, when I come and worship God and focus upon the very nature of God and His love for me and that I can approach Him with confidence, whatever else is going on out there, there can be a joy in my heart as I give my praise and honor and worship to, to Almighty God. Our worship should be done with pleasure and with joy. It ought to be a delight. Now, some have confessed, Pastor... It's just not natural to me to sit out here and smile at you while you're preaching. So sometimes when the pastor's preaching, he's left to wonder, are they mad at me? Did I say something wrong? Did I, you know? So you've got to be careful about letting externals dictate. You know, you look like a bunch of grumpy old people who wish you were in bed by this time, but you're not. But there ought to be a spirit of joy and delight as we gather to worship God Almighty. I mean, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Where more specifically shouldn't it be except in the worship of God with His people? With His people. And therefore, I mean, as, as I pick out songs, and, and, and sometimes some of you may wonder, you know, how does he pick out this song? Why? I know there are some songs that can that 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 may be not singable or and therefore it's it's hard. I mean, I think it was last Sunday where we worshipped. They they sung several songs, but neither Trish or I knew any of them. And, and it's hard to energy in joyfully when you don't know the songs. I mean, we've got a new hymn book, and I want to be cautious on how many new hymns we sing at one time because I want you to be able to sing joyfully unto the Lord. I mean, last week, I mean, I'm, I'm try my wife's amazed. You might, <laughs> my wife's amazed because even when I don't know the songs, I'm able to at least carry a tune and get through them somehow because I don't read music. She always says, how do you do that? And I don't know. I really don't. But, but it's hard. But, but we ought to, as, as we sing, sing joyfully as unto the Lord. Now, there may be certain hymns that call for repentance and so forth. But the overall mark of our worship ought to be that of joy and thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God. Mr. Spurgeon writes this, All Christian duties should be done joyfully, but especially the work of praising the Lord. 
He says, I have been in congregations where the tune was so sad to the very last degree, where the time was so dreadfully slow that I wondered whether they would be would ever be able to sing through the 119th Psalm, whether, to use Watts' expression, eternity would not be too short for them to get through it and altogether. The Spirit, and this is, this is um, Spurgeon's sense of humor, the Spirit of the people seemed to be so damned so heavy and so dead that we might have supposed they were there to prepare their minds for a hanging. Right? They're, they're, they're so dead. They're so solemn. They're, and he says, I, I think they were preparing for a hanging rather than the blessing of the ever-gracious God. Right? And there are times when we worship together. And while I never thought as Spurgeon did, but maybe it would be appropriate. Are we preparing for a hanging? Is this a dirge? The primary mark of our worship should be one of delighting and joy in the Lord. Well, the fifth point. There's enough time left over. My fifth point's really short. There's enough time left over. I go get the other sermon and maybe uh, I won't do that. But here's the fifth point. And it's sort of something we've covered as we've looked throughout these 13, 14 verses. Biblical worship must be determined by divine command. Biblical worship must be determined by divine command. Again, look at verse 13. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in the one of your tribes, There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. As you gather together to worship God, as you enter into that promised land, and God sets up these places where you're to worship, and you're to bring the burnt offerings and the other offerings, and you bring these things to God as He has appointed, it is the place with His name What you're to do is what He has commanded and everything that He has commanded. He expands on this idea of worship throughout the rest of this chapter. Chapter 12, I believe, is is an, an opening up of the second commandment. But I want you to notice how he ends this chapter. Verse 32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add nor take away from it. So what are you to do when you gather for worship? 
everything I command you. But what about this? Add nothing. Well, do we have to do this? Take away nothing. Do what I command. And so as we said this morning, I will say it again. We do nothing more or nothing less and nothing else in acceptable worship but that which God commands. That's acceptable worship. So here are these five principles that I trust will be principles that we will seek to live by as we gather to worship. It must be void of a compromise with the world. It must focus upon a proper object. It is not to be about my personal likes. It must be marked by joy. And it must be determined by divine command. These things ought to mark our worship. And it is my prayer, whether it's me or someone else someday that leads this congregation, these principles will be that which guides us all of our day. But, but I trust you will walk away with this. There are things we need to work on. Does that come? Do you agree? With, there are things we need to work on, and may God help us to do so. I mean, as I was preparing this, I'm thinking, Lord, I need to, I need to work on this. I, I tend to focus on so much, but I, I want to come in and, and focus upon God. And if I focus upon who God is and I get to know Him better, then, then my worship will be marked by joy. And, it, and I won't be concerned about my personal likes and dislikes. And He'll receive all the glory. I mean, it's our goal as imperfect people that we are. It ought to be our goal that when people come in among us, they will at least walk away with this. These people are taken up with God. The color of the carpet doesn't matter. How many instruments are being played doesn't matter. What's everybody wearing doesn't matter. Whether they're in a, a big building with stained glass windows and a pipe organ doesn't matter. If they met in a cardboard box, but they were taken up with God, God would be pleased with that worship. And so may God help us to grow. I don't know how often we think about this, but may we grow in our worship towards God. So that even before we get here, There's an excitement about we're meeting with God. His Word is going to be preached. We're going to sing about Him. We're going to sing to Him. We're going to sing to each other. May our worship be pleasing in His sight. And you know what that will mean? Some people will come in and say, this is dull. This is really dull. I don't understand these people. They don't have air conditioning. And they still gather together and are taken up with God. 
Now, could we be taken up with God better with air conditioning? I hope not, but would we be more comfortable? Maybe. But to be taken up with Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him better so that I might worship Him aright. Well, let's pray. Father, we pray that You would help us to take these things to heart. We thank You for many who are among us even now who desire to worship You aright. And therefore, Father, we pray that You would help us to grow in our worship of You. And and that growth will only come as we know You better. And so we pray that we are people who are growing in our knowledge of who God is. And that our hearts are more devoted and taken up and committed to Him. That, Father, as we gather together, whether we be few or whether we be many, we want Your smile. We want You to be pleased. Whether the world accepts it or not, it's about You. And so help us to take these things to heart. And may You be glorified in all of them. For we ask these things in Christ's blessed name. Amen. I'll take the Trinity hymn book once again and turn to 713. 713. I picked this hymn to close with in light of what I was going to preach. I was going to preach from a verse of the Psalms about reviving us. But it's appropriate for this as well. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord. 713. Let's stand together as we sing. Ahem. <clears throat>